give us all um, listening ears and open eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So if you've turned away from there, turn back to Daniel 3. That's where we'll be today. Now, as we begin, imagine the scene. Your king of, for all intents and purposes, the whole world, and you're currently feeling quite healthy, quite well. You, you had been recently suffering from a disturbed night's sleep, uh, but that had recently changed. You see, um, some whiz kid from some backwater place no one's heard of, Judah maybe, was that it? Something like that. He'd explained your wild dreams in a pretty satisfactory way. Now, you, you had dreamed of this massive idol statue thing with a, a head of gold, a chest of silver, belly of bronze, and so on. And this whiz kid, Belt, uh, Belteshazzar, his old name was like Dan, Dan something, I can't remember. Uh, he had told you that you and your kingdom were that head of gold. Um, he said that you were the king of kings. But, but then something that he said slightly annoyed you. Because he then said that, that another kingdom would follow yours, and that would be the, the chest of silver. But that implies that your kingdom is going to end, because then this silver kingdom is going to come along. And we can't be having that. But then you have an idea. You have an idea. To make sure that nobody gets it in their head that your kingdom is ever, ever going to end, Let's make a statue, like the one you saw in your dream, but not, not one where only the head is of gold and chest of silver and so on. Let's make a statue where the whole thing is gold, all of it. Then people will understand your kingdom is never going to end, and they will worship you forever. Such may, may well have been the thoughts of Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning of our passage today in him making a golden statue. And there are two themes that are going to help us think through um, this chapter today, heaven and hell. We're going to think about heaven and hell. So let's, let's dive in. Heaven, verse 1 to 12. Heaven, verse 1 to 12. Nebuchadnezzar makes this golden image, this golden statue, and with it tries to make heaven on earth. Now, if heaven is the kingdom of God, this is Nebuchadnezzar's wannabe heaven. This is the, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And he does a pretty good job of it. You, you, you'll see his, his heaven is, is all, it's kind of close to what real heaven is. Look in verses f- uh, 4 and 5 and 6 with me. You have uh, three components that make up a heaven. Uh, the first then, so the herald loudly proclaims, Nations and peoples of every language. Pause. All nations. There's going to be all nations in heaven. This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. Pause. That's the second part of heaven. There's going to be a lot of music in heaven. You, are, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. That's the third bit. There's going to be a lot of worshipping in heaven. And uh, that's, that's kind of what heaven's going to be like. And the thing is, if you don't want to be in heaven, there's a hell. And so he keeps on going. Uh, and whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Where there's a heaven, there's a hell. And the blazing furnace 
is Nebuchadnezzar's hell. And you see these, these components, if you like, of heaven and hell um, all throughout the chapter. Look at verse 7. As soon as they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music. That's the second one. All the nations and peoples of every language. There you go. That's the first one. Fell down and worshipped. Third bit. You see it in verses 10 and 11. Um, your ma- this is the people talking, and they say, Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. There you go. That's your, um, all people and listening to the music must fall down and worship. And if they don't, be thrown into the blazing furnace. There's your hell. And then verse 14, where Nebuchadnezzar is, is threatening uh, the three men last time with his heaven and, and his hell, he says, um, now, in verse 15, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, as a music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made very well, and if you don't, blazing furnace. You get the idea. Nebuchadnezzar has made his heaven with all, music, with all nations and all kinds of music and all worshiping, and he's made his hell the blazing furnace. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is, is wrong about one thing, and he's right about another. So let's just have a look at those. What is he wrong about? Well, what he's wrong about is the, the object of that worship, that image of gold that he has set up. Now, in one way, this is where the Bible tries to be funny. If, if, you, if you listen it with that kind of antenna on, you can hear there's, there's something quite funny here. You see, what we're worshipping, this image of gold, or what they're supposed to worship, uh, is something that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. In, in verses 1 and verse 15, it says, Nebuchadnezzar made an image. That's verse 1. Verse 15, um, uh, if, you, if you're ready to worship the image I made. This is something that Nebuchadnezzar has made. And so straight away we see that we're supposed to worship a made thing, a, a created thing, rather than the creator. Nebuchadnezzar wants you to worship something that he's just made with his hands. And from verse 12 we see that we're also worshipping f- created gods. Look at verse 12. Um, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image that you have set up. And do you, do you see how farcical that is, how, how laughable that is? A created block of gold is, is no, crea- co- no comparison to the uncreated God. And then there's another one. Did you see how many times you heard that phrase set up in this passage? It comes up eight times in this chapter in the NIV. It's always the image of gold Nebuchadnezzar set up. The image of gold I set up. This image he set up. This idol n- image needs to be set up. It, it needs help. Whereas God needs no setting up. Think about it this way. God does not need Callum to come and make sure all the wires are in the correct place and that he's positioned in the right place and that the speakers are working. God does not need Callum to set him up. But we and Nebuchadnezzar need a Callum to set up this image. Okay? And do, do, you, do you see in... In true heaven, we're going to worship the uncreated creator who does not need setting up, who is powerful of his own ability, not anything else that needs setting up, that is created by the creator. It's laughable. It's a joke. What Nebuchadnezzar is tremendously wrong about is what we should worship. Something that is set up or something that is the uncreated creator who alone has all power and authority. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is wrong about. What is he right about? Well, he is right 
about the fact that heaven will be unified by worship. We will all be worshiping in heaven. Uh, Turn with me to Revelation 5. Revelation 5, and I'm going to read from verse 9. Revelation 5. Uh, This is the 24 elders speaking. Verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy, this is to the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then this is back to John speaking. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Do you see, it's first it's the 24 elders praising God. Then it's the thousands and thousands of angels. And then it is everybody. And they are all praising the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And so the question, the question is, which heaven are you going to live for? In which heaven will you worship? God's heaven? Nebuchadnezzar's heaven? Your own heaven? Because could your own homemade heaven possibly compare, possibly compare with God's heaven? I was chatting to an old school friend this week. um, And at one point in the conversation, um, uh, we were talking about heaven or or, or after death, what happens. And uh, and his version was pretty rubbish. And so then I read him... um, Uh, then I read him, uh, there's a little uh, verse, so J- Jonathan Edwards, uh, an American Puritan, if you like, he d- he's got a little book called Heaven, A World of Love, and I, I encourage you, it's small and it's wonderful. And he, there's one little verse place where he describes heaven like so. He says, Thus, in the full sunlight of the throne, enraptured with joys that are forever increasing, and yet forever full, they shall live and reign with God and Christ forever and ever. I just want to pick out that phrase there. Joys that are forever increasing and yet forever full. I dare you to make a heaven that could possibly compare with that. This is the heaven that is ours and that we can live for. No other heaven, no other manufactured equivalent could possibly come close to comparing to a heaven in the full sunlight of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with joys that are forever increasing and yet forever full. This is the heaven that I I invite you all to live for. This is the heaven that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to live for. So now we then turn to hell. 
verses 13 to 30. That's the end of the chapter, back at Daniel 3. Since the three young men did not cast their lot in with Nebuchadnezzar's heaven, they get Nebuchadnezzar's hell. And verse, in, in verses uh, 14 and 15, after threatening his heaven and his hell on them one last time, Nebuchadnezzar introduces a new idea at the end of verse 15. He says, Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And the idea of rescue is introduced to us in this chapter. It comes there in verse 15. We get a similar word, verse 17. Uh, God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us. In verse 28, we get that word again. Um, he sent, God has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And then at the end of verse 29, no other God can save in this way. So the second half of this chapter is concerned of rescue, deliverance, or, or being saved. And as they consider the God who can save, we see the faith of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's take a moment to consider their faith. Let me read to you again verse 17 and 18. This is what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Notice what they are sure of and what they are unsure of. Notice what faith is sure of and what faith is not sure of. Faith is sure about God's revealed will, sometimes called his will of command. That's the will of God that we know from the Bible. So things like first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not bow down to any idols. What, things like we know that God is able to save. That's what they are sure about. No gods before God and that God is able to save. What they are not sure about is his secret will, sometimes called his will of decree, and, and rightly so. And that is whether in this particular instance they will be delivered or not. Do you see, even if he does not deliver us, right, they don't know if he will. Like they, faith knows God is able to save, and I know that God alone deserves my worship. Faith does not know whether God is going to save me in this particular instance right now. And when you face someone's homemade hell on earth, your own, or maybe your bosses or, or friends, it is helpful to remember what you do know and what you don't know. What you know God has graciously told you in the Bible, you know that he can save. What you don't know is whether he will. You know that following God is right and that he can save you from your ordeal, but he might not because his wisdom is greater than ours. You don't know whether he will save you today from it. And that verse 18, that phrase, even if he does not, it's wonderful because it shows that true faith does not predict God's ways for him. It, it doesn't try to direct God's ways. In some circles, you'll hear people you know, say, like, you know, if you've got enough faith, this will happen. Or the reason you didn't get this thing is because you didn't have enough faith. But that's, that's not true because faith does not Faith is not like a muscle that you use and you kind of try and direct God. If I just have enough faith and I faith myself up, you know, then this thing will happen. 
That's not how faith works. Faith knows God's law and God's character. Faith knows what God has done. It does not know what God will do. And it's very important to get that distinction in our lives. And let's notice another thing about faith, the costliness of faith, the costliness of faith. Living for God's heaven and not for someone else's is costly. This, now, this cost, this, this cost of following Jesus, it grates, it grates in our world because you know, our world will tell us that life is about that, that inward quest for personal psychological happiness. You know, it's, it's about, you know, following your dreams, you doing you. And this is where Jesus confronts culture a little bit here. Because we live for something greater that is going to cause suffering now. It's, it's going to cause suffering now. And we've got to be prepared for that because we live not for the highest joy now, but for the joy that is forever increasing and forever full in eternity. Now, although Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't sure, Christ did save them. Christ did save them. And I think it is Christ. I think it is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who is that fourth man. And and most people would think so. But regardless of this, uh, we can say this in the words of uh, Uh, an old uh, pastor uh, called Jerome, who said, as for the significance of of this, this angel or son of God, this angel or son of God foreshadows our Lord Jesus Christ, who descended into the furnace of hell, in which the souls of both sinners and of the righteous were imprisoned, in order that he might, without suffering or scorching by fire or injury to his person, deliver those who were held imprisoned by the chains of death. You see, me, you, all of us, we have rejected God's heaven. We have, and we deserve God's hell, which is far worse than rejecting Nebuchadnezzar's heaven and getting Nebuchadnezzar's hell. You see, rather than defying the king's command, which is what Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, which is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, according to verse 28, it says they'd have defied the king's command. We've defied the great king's command. We have defied God's command. And that's his righteous and his just command. You see, the three men defied an egomaniac. We have defied the kind creator of the universe. And so we deserve death and damnation. But... Jesus suffered hell on the cross. He took the blazing furnace of God's just anger at our defiance and our selfishness. And just just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't saved from the fire, but were saved in the fire, so Jesus goes right into the hellish fire to take the punishment for our sins. That's his kind of love for us. And just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are never going to go back into that furnace, so, you are ne- your, so your sin is never going to be called to be answered for at a later date. Your sin is done with Jesus on the cross 
final finish satisfied. That is Jesus. God so loved the world, he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not take the hell, but would have eternal life. Eternal life in joys that are forever increasing and yet forever full. And so firstly, I want to appeal to you, for those of you who have not already, to put your faith in Christ. Have faith that he can save. Have faith that he can save you. And having had that faith, have faith that he has saved you. And saved you for what? A heaven united by worship. A heaven of forever increasing and forever full joy. A heaven made up of people from every tribe and language and people and nation worshipping Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. Living your life for this heaven is going to be costly. But remember, you know who God is. You know what God has done. You don't know what the workings out of his love for you will look like, how soon you'll die, how much you'll suffer. But you do know so much about God. And so live your life for heaven because Jesus has saved you from hell. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we long to be in your presence, to be in your kingdom, to be in your heaven. We thank you that in your great love for us sinners, you sent your Son to take our hell so that we could receive your heaven. By your Holy Spirit, please help us to live for you alone. Help us to be aware of the different idols as and when they present themselves to us for our worship. Let us serve no God but you alone. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in joys that are forever increasing and yet forever full. O oh, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.